Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm gonna show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Years, session number 438. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Before we jump into the Inside Med Admissions session, I want to do the MCAT Minute, brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Go check them out at blueprintprep.com MCAT. One of the questions that students typically have is, how do I know if I'm ready? What happens if you don't have all the prereqs necessary to take the MCAT? There's a lot of confusion around prereqs that med schools want you to have and prereqs that the AAMC expects you to have to be prepared for the MCAT. So I really want you to dive in to your study plan, reach out to an advisor, and really find out how to best plan to have most of your prereqs done before you take the MCAT. Sure, you can self-study some of the topics. Ideally, only one topic that you need to self-study for, but if you need to study more, of those topics by yourself, you may want to think about postponing your MCATs. Go check out some more information over at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. That's what I got for you for the MCAT Minute this week. Now, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. If my sound sounds a little bit different, that's because I'm not in my normal recording spot because I had a flood where I normally record. That's okay. The show must go on. Today, I have a great session for you today, one that I'm not in, and maybe you'll enjoy that more than usual. The session I'm going to play for you today is a series, or the start of a new series, that we created over at MAPT. And again, if you don't know, MAPT is a technology company that I started last year. I co-founded with Rachel Grubbs over at MAPPD. Dot com. It's a platform that allows you to track and get feedback on everything that you are doing as a pre-med student. When you enter that C-, unfortunately, that you got in organic chemistry, our platform will let you know that a C- is not passing 
for almost every medical school. When you start off poorly and you have a semester that you you put in into MAPT and it's less than a 3.0 or less than a 2.5, we'll say, hey, it looks like you started poorly. Here are some steps to improve. But anyway, I'm not here to talk about MAPT. I'm here to talk about inside med admissions, which you can find at insidemedadmissions.com to register for our next live session, which you can get a replay of as well at insidemedadmissions.com. Our next session is April 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And Inside Med Admissions, again, was, was kind of created by the MAPT team to give you more insight directly from deans and directors of admissions of medical schools. Our first session was held just a couple weeks ago, and it was all about how COVID-19 is going to impact medical school admissions here in the 2021 and 2022 application cycle. We had three different deans and directors of medical schools on, one from a Texas medical school, one from an AMCAS medical school, and one from an ACOMAS medical school. So DO, MD, and TMDSAS, a, a good mix for you. And it was hosted by our very own Dr. Scott Wright, former director of admissions at UT Southwestern and retired executive director at TMDSAS. So we used to run the whole application service, and he's an advisor for us over at MAPT. Again, this is a recording of that session, so hopefully you'll get some great insight into how COVID is going to potentially impact medical school admissions this cycle and for a few cycles in the future. Good morning, everyone. It's very good to see everyone here today, and to all of you that are watching on YouTube on uh, YouTube uh, TV, we're excited that you're here and uh, excited for this event. Uh, want to uh, to greet everyone and say uh, good morning and good afternoon, depending on where you are in the country. And I uh, want to introduce our three. Uh, panelists today and 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 really uh, dive right into the the issue at hand for this inside med admissions inaugural broadcast uh, we're going to talk at the end of the broadcast about what next month we're going to be talking about and and uh, we will let you know throughout the month kind of kind of how that's gonna how that's gonna play out uh, but we'll talk more about that at the end so let me introduce our three uh, our three experts for the day. Uh, I am Dr. Scott Wright, and many of you know me already by virtue of our uh, various broadcasts and, and, and uh, YouTube videos, etc. Uh, I am Vice President for Ed Academic Advising at MAPT and former uh, Director of Admissions at UT Southwestern Med School and Executive Director of the Texas Medical and Dental School's Application Service. And so um, it's nice to see you all here today, and we have three uh, uh, esteemed experts that are going to be chiming in on this crucial issue of uh, COVID and how it's affecting things and want to introduce them to you uh, right now. First of all, we have Filomeno Maldonado, who I know is Philo, and Philo is the Associate Dean of Admissions and Assistant Professor of Medical Humanities at Texas A&M University College of Medicine in Bryan College Station, Texas. Philo, how are you this morning? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Scott. 
You know, thank you for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really great to see you and thank you for joining us. And I see your A&M mug in the background. And so that's, that's right. awesome. Giga <laughs> Maggie's right. Yeah, right. that's right. Uh, our next, uh, next um, panelist is Dr. Layla Harrison, who is senior associate dean for student affairs and admissions and clinical assistant professor at the Elson S. Floyd College of Medicine at Washington State University. And I, be, I believe I'm right in saying that's in Spokane, Washington. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And so thank you for joining us. I hope, hope it's not, it's uh, the weather out there doing okay today. Yeah. Pacific Northwest has amazing weather. So it's beautiful. Oh, good. That's awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Layla. It's really, really nice to see you today. Then our third panelist is uh, the is the director of admissions at Michigan State University College of Osteopathic Medicine, and that is uh, Lyman Mower. Lyman, how are you this morning? Hey, good morning, Scott. Thanks for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here today. Yeah, great. It's great to see you. And now I, I'm trying to remember is is uh, Michigan State is in Lansing. Is that correct? Is that where That's the med correct. school is? The main, um, the main Michigan State campus is in East Lansing. Mm -hmm. uh, so right next door to the capital city of Lansing in Michigan. Uh, with respect to our college, um, we split our pre-clerkship students among three sites. The majority of them are in East Lansing on the main campus, but we have two additional sites in Southeast Michigan. So in the center of Detroit uh, and in Macomb County as well. Great. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, that's that's wonderful. Well, thank, thank the three of you for joining us today. It's great to, great to see you. And uh, I think, uh, Fila, we're going to start off with you and, and, and pose the question to you. Uh, and that is, um, how do you anticipate that uh, COVID will affect the 21, 22 uh, application cycle? Uh, it's a kind of an open-ended question and, you know, feel free to, you know, uh, to discuss whatever you think is, is relevant to, to that question. Okay. Uh, interestingly, uh, we are going to proceed like we did in 2020. Um, we're still not out of the woods, unfortunately. And um, the committee um, has decided to exercise some of the same measures that we implemented in 2020. Um, in fact, uh, most of our sister institutions uh, in the state of Texas, our TMDSAS participating schools, are going to do very similarly. Um, in fact, uh, in 2020, we decided to extend our deadline by a month and also extend interviews into January and early February. We like the timeline so much that we're going to continue that time indefinitely uh, going into the future, starting with 2021. So instead of an October 1st deadline, we're going to have a November 1st deadline. And then uh, we also moved the match. As you know, Texas is unique in that we have the medical school match in addition to pre-match offers between October and December. We've extended that period uh, uh, through the end of January for pre-match offers and then moved the match from February 1st to early March or the first of uh, uh, I think it, this past, this past uh, in 2021, it's March 5th. Next year, it'll be March 4th. Um, so uh, that allowed us to, to see more applicants and, and obviously to adapt to the applicants that were affected by the uh, cancellation of MCAT scores uh, or MCAT tests, I'm sorry, and, uh, and then um, and the rescheduling of that. And perhaps as well, uh, the delays that some of our faculty and health professions advisory committees 
uh, may have experienced as a result of um, shutting down, you know, for a period of time and going online for the most part that perhaps coming together to actually discuss the applicants and, co and compose their letters uh, probably was impeded in some way. So um, we know that there were some delays there. So we obviously adapted to that. And um, we, uh, along with uh, our sister institutions in the state of Texas, decided to keep the uh, requirement of the MCAT. I know that some of our institutions nationwide, I think a handful of those decided that they were going uh, they were not going to consider the MCAT. We decided against that, but we did exercise flexibility in terms of those that were applying late. Some of our uh, institutions here in Texas decided to interview candidates uh, with just the without an MCAT, you know, pending, you know, the MCAT uh, at a later date, and reevaluating them after that. Uh, we did, you know, similarly, but uh, for the most part, uh, uh, we found that most of our applicants, you know, had their MCAT, you know, uh, scores and. Um, uh, didn't affect the, the pool as significantly as we thought. In addition, um, we, you know, we considered online, you know, coursework, particularly for the prerequisites, and didn't in any way penalize students for taking that approach given the circumstances. Uh, we also made exceptions for pass-fail courses, um, particularly within the prerequisites. Some institutions uh, did not provide the students the option of graded courses, uh, even online, but uh, uh, a and did, UT did, among others. Uh, so if students had the option of doing graded, we encourage them to do that. But if they decide to go, you know, to, to do pass-fail, we, we accept that, uh, you know, the, the pass-fail nevertheless. Uh, so those are some of the things that we did in 2020, yeah. and we're going to continue into 2021. Yeah. Uh, we are going to continue virtual um, and uh, as opposed to, um, you know, in-person. I know some of our sister institutions in Texas might go a hybrid, but for the most part, it looks like all of us are going to go virtual for 2021. Okay, great, great. Uh, Layla, I'll pose this same question to you and get you to kind of bounce off of what Philo has said and kind of add to your add to it your your perspective. Uh, being an AMCAS school, uh, you know. Uh, Things are a little bit different for uh, for you guys as opposed to uh, the Texas process. So, the question uh, is equal to you, uh, to you, Layla, and how is how do you anticipate it's going to affect uh, you guys in 2021-22? Yeah. So, I think um, looking forward into the next cycle, I you know, so I'm also on the AMC, the AMC. Um, Committee on Admissions. So we do uh, talk broadly nationally about issues related to admissions. So just kind of the collective thoughts um, or anticipation of things that might be different or um, more exacerbated this coming cycle is we anticipate that applicants might have fewer experiences. They might have virtual experiences where we really have not seen much of that kind of thing, like virtual shadowing, virtual volunteering. Um, we also anticipate um, issues related to letters of recommendation. Traditional students have had to be, uh, in many cases, online um, in this past year, and some have conveyed that that has made it difficult to get to know their faculty member um, that, you know, in, in a traditional sense, had they been in person, might be writing a letter of recommendation. So letters of recommendation might look different, so they might read differently in terms of, um, the depth that they have had um, in getting to know the the applicants. 
Um, you know, so I think those are just some of the things. I think um, across the country, we're seeing that I would say the majority of medical schools are likely going to be continuing with virtual interviews. Uh, but some are also considering um, having um, sort of additional second looks or for those that they accepted coming back to campus or even those that they um, had interviewed virtually to come back before acceptance to, to view the campus. One of the things I think is going to be really important for medical schools, it always is important, but especially this coming cycle, is to be really transparent about what they expect of their applicants. I, I think a lot of anxiety for applicants right now is the uncertainty of what schools really are looking for, what they require, what's different in these um, two cycles during the pandemic. So I just think we're going to see more in this coming cycle that applications are going to look different than what we're used to. And it's going to be really important that we're all training our admissions committees um, and interviewers to be thoughtful of that um, and to really take into consideration that applicants have, um, you know, they, they don't have the same control of their environment or opportunities that they might have pre-pandemic. So just broadly, I mean, for and for our program, I, a lot of these these are true as well. So, but those are the things that we are hearing um, nationally. I can't hear you, Scott. All right. Sorry, a lot of angst from students uh, that are trying to uh, trying to traverse this uh, process, and and we're hearing the same kind of thing that you guys are hearing. So, absolutely, that's great, uh, Lyman. Uh, same question for you. Uh, you know, like to like to know from your perspective, both in terms of your institution, but also in some ways, sort of somewhat representative, at least for our purposes today, of osteopathic medicine and the process for osteopathic medical schools through ACOMAS. And what, what are your thoughts about how, how, how you guys and how osteopathic schools are dealing with, uh, with COVID? Sure, I'll try to be, uh, I'll try to be uh, a fair representative here of, uh, of, my, of my peer institutions on the osteopathic side of things. Um, I was among probably those individuals who were skeptical that there would be too many impacts to the 2021 application cycle due to the impact of the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Certainly we did see some, some significant uh, disruption, especially as Philo has, has alluded to with respect to um, the way the AAMC had to be very responsive around making changes to the administration of the MCAT. Um, the, the situation that many test takers needed to, to face was a little bit unconventional, a little bit different. Scores needed to be uh, graded and then released in, in a different type of way. So certainly there were some logistical hurdles that I think the applicant pool needed to manage. But I think in terms of preparation, this pool was not significantly impacted. And as we started to enter this period uh, about a year ago, my thoughts were really much more with the individuals considering an application to medical schools this cycle and really over the next two, perhaps three cycles. As you know, people who have started college in this environment have probably just had the worst college freshman year in the history of college freshman years. Right? <laughs> right. So this is a very, so I was sensitive to what needed to be different uh, administratively or what needed to be different maybe in terms of timelines or some of the expectations for the 2021 group 
But certainly, my heart was much more with people applying for 2022 and beyond. So I would anticipate that many, um, if not if not most, if not all, osteopathic schools will probably stay the course in terms of the processes that have served them well over the past year, um, and then maybe potentially on a geographic basis more than anything, uh, have that opportunity to um, follow guidelines uh, allowing for um, increased in-person activities and increased opportunities to physically interact with faculty, staff, students, and, and campus locations. Certainly with respect to Michigan State, my anticipation for this coming year is that we will have essentially the same interview process that we had this past year. Uh, so it will be a virtual one-to-one uh, -one type of interview, uh, which we think is a format that was very successful. But definitely I think the, the changes that will be uh, impacting this group in particular, uh, I don't think will be so much logistical. I think part of the new challenge here will be how do applicants effectively communicate their skills, uh, their attributes, uh, the way that they've developed the pre-professional capacities that medical schools are interested in evaluating and assessing. How are they going to communicate that in an environment where they haven't had necessarily the same access to the traditional pathways or the traditional tools that have allowed them to very clearly or more easily or more conventionally articulate exposure to clinical medicine? or exposure to volunteerism or a service orientation, or how, how, how might they in a more virtual way really articulate strengths around leadership and teamwork and communication and adaptability and resilience. So I think our role as admission professionals is help calibrate some of those changed expectations that committees um, may need to have, um, especially with respect to experiences and probably also letters of recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is a good question and I'd like to pose it to each one of you and get you guys to jump in on this. How did you prepare your committees in this last cycle and how will you prepare your committees in the future cycle to adjust to these things? I'm sure it was difficult to, uh, at some level for a shift, uh, from considering, you know, particularly with longstanding committee members who have been used to looking at things in, in the specific way, the expectations, for example, of, of uh, shadowing our clinical hours or, or whatever. How did you go about training your committees to, uh, to sort of understand and deal with that in an equitable, uh, equitable way so that it didn't disadvantage students as they were coming into, the, into your uh, process? Phila, you want to respond to that first? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Very good. Uh, good question. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, the the pool coming or going in uh, in twenty twenty, and um, for the most part, had medically related experience, had service leadership. Many of those things were already there, given the fact that you know they were already in the pipeline, you know, to apply for you know twenty twenty. So. Uh, now, they were affected going forward, right? Uh, so we think that uh, this pool, I mean, this, uh, this, uh, this application cycle, we're going to see uh, uh, students who were maybe uh, sophomores or juniors now coming into the uh, process for 2021 that were affected, obviously, for 20, you know, in 2020 because of COVID. So we're going to see perhaps uh, a more significant, um, uh, let's say, uh, 
uh, dearth, I suppose, of, of, of activities because of COVID and the impact that that had. So uh, we're prepared for that. I mean, we were prepared for that in 2020. Uh, uh, I'm sure like most schools, uh, you know, admissions committees come together, you know, for retreats to, you know, to look back at the year, to make adjustments and prepare for the upcoming year. So we do that annually. And uh, and we did it in late May, early June. And, and um, given where we were, we did it virtually. Uh, you know, we discussed all the measures that we were going to implement going forward and how we, it was important to exercise flexibility. And the committee was good about that. You know, it said, yeah, you know, and everybody was, uh, we were all impacted in some way, obviously, you know, even those on the committee. Um, so, um, as as we proceeded uh, over the course of the year, as we were interviewing candidates, for example, uh, you know, we took that into consideration. And and um, uh, given at what point, you know, they were uh, in in the application process. And um, but we we didn't see uh, a lot of applicants lacking experience. You know, uh, as perhaps we anticipated, simply because you know they you know they started this back in 2018 and 19 and now we're into uh, into the application process in 2020 so where we're going to have to you know make some adjustments i think is this year because i think the pool coming in this year might have been affected now there may be some exceptions there'll be a subset i think of applicants that are, are more non-traditional may have taken gap years that were obviously affected but had some experience so we're going to see you know the lot you know in in, in that way um but uh, how we train, um, once again, uh, 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 we, we have uh, training modules and, and we do in-person training of our faculty. Uh, we've been doing it virtually, you know, uh, to make them aware uh, of the current circumstances. And then uh, you have us, you know, uh, in those committee meetings, you know, to uh, kind of check, be that check and balance, you know, to, to monitor the discussion, to make sure that, you know, that uh, they're not looking at it uh, in, in a somewhat austere or very limiting, you know, way. And, and that's helped over the course of the, uh, of the 2020 cycle, you know, just reminding our committee members, you know, this is not the typical year, you know, we, you know and, and we've all agreed that we're going to have to exercise flexibility here, uh, given the current circumstances. And the committee was very, very good about that uh, over the course of time. Uh, and as a result, you know, uh, we interviewed a, a record number of applica uh, applicants and, uh, and uh, we're indeed fortunate that, uh, you, know, we, you know, we captured a, a really good class going into 2021. Yeah. So uh, we're going to do similarly. Yeah, that's great. Lyman, uh, any, anything that you did special for your uh, committee uh, in going into 20, 2020 or what do you anticipate? In terms of your committee process going into twenty one, uh, what what are, what are you doing to prepare the committee to to understand what the expectations are that they might have of students that might be different from from past years? Yeah, absolutely. I think the the conversation that as a team the committee really uh, will have and and has had on an ongoing basis is to is to respond really to the the question or the provocation that I give them all the time of why exactly is it that you would expect a candidate to have a b or c on their application so what is it that you think would be salient about seeing hospital volunteer experience 
for work experience as an EMT. What about that? Let's capture what that really is and make sure that candidates are educated that as they fill out their applications, what they should be trying to capture is not so much whether or not they've checked the box of an adequate number of hours of volunteering or an adequate number of hours of exposure to medicine through shadowing or other types of opportunities. But if they're able to successfully communicate how what they have done really does lend itself to some substantive pre-professional preparation in terms of developing skills and attributes that we expect our students to have going forward. So really articulating that discussion with the committee, I think is very important. From the perspective of DO schools, we are among the osteopathic medical colleges that do not require applicants to have a letter from an osteopathic physician. Uh, I think certainly for Michigan residents, we probably expect uh, a fair amount of uh, more in-depth exposure to uh, interaction with osteopathic physicians, just given the density of DOs historically here within the state. But beyond that, we certainly expect that candidates who are going to be good candidates will find other ways to advance in their application, specifically what may grab them about osteopathic approaches to medicine or what about an osteopathic philosophy or the tenets of osteopathic medicine may really inform who they want to be as they think about their future professional identity. So I think communicating those types of elements will be really critical for applicants going forward. And so I think that as the committee discusses this issue, as this is an issue that my office discusses with applicants and with pre-medical groups, I think it's an opportunity for everybody to break outside of some of these norms to some degree and think a little bit more creatively, not just about, well, this is what you do as a pre-medical student, but to think about what that's really supposed to demonstrate and to be more creative about finding some other opportunities to demonstrate those same skills and attributes and capacities, um, which medical schools and organizations, I think, have, have done a good job of, of articulating to that population in terms of what it is schools ideally would like to see in their classes. So I think this will be a unique opportunity for students who are willing to take a little more time to stop and think about what they expect to communicate to schools. And if they're successful in that, I think that those are the students that will have a very good application cycle in the coming year. Oh, great. Yeah, that's good Good advice for the students. Absolutely. Uh, Layla, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, admissions committees and and uh, and your I'm guessing that your committee is is similar to others where you have a, a variety of people on the committee in terms of clinicians and basic scientists and a lot of schools even have students on their on their committees. Um, so you have a mixture of these kind of people, but they've all got one thing in common. It seems to me like, and that is they've been subject to the limitations of the pandemic. And so it sort of seems to me like, and I'd like for you to not only address kind of what, what the others have said, but also just the notion that we're all in this together. We're all having to kind of deal with all the same thing. And uh, so the students can expect that this is not going to be a big surprise to, uh, to your committee that they haven't been able to do X, Y, or Z. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. I think too, I, I think sometimes applicants, it's a scary thing to think about an admissions process or an admissions committee, right? They, we're, we're so sort of obscure and this kind of scary process. Oftentimes applicants are even 
concerned about reaching out to admissions offices. They don't know if they're supposed to do that. And of course, we encourage them to do that. But I, I think reminding applicants that um, they're compassionate humans that serve on admissions committees. It's, it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest working committee at a medical school. And so they care deeply about um, about what they're doing in their work. You know, and as a new medical school, one of the things that's amazing is being able to be so mission driven. So when we talk about these experiences that might be different in the upcoming year, it's helping them remember our mission. And there is no defined number of clinical exposure experiences that will tell us alone whether that's a mission aligned candidate. So I think it's helping them remember um, we, we actually pretty loosely define things. We don't have a specific requirement for uh, clinical experiences for a reason, because we believe that there are different ways people can demonstrate that they have exposure and their motivation. Um, furthermore, you know, we have a we want to attract a diverse group of people to serve to serve the diverse population we have in Washington. Um, and when we're, we're too prescriptive, we're going to miss some real opportunities from applicants. So, for example, for for uh, clinical experience, we will look at people that have had um, experience serving as care providers for family members um, and nothing else. If that's the only exposure they have, that aligns with what we're looking for, obviously provided in this holistic way that they have other aspects as well. But um, I think it's really just continuing to remind the committee that um, Applicants, um, just like any of us, have lost a lot of control over things in our lives and opportunities. Um, I think also it's really important, and this is something we've done here, is make a concerted effort to reach out to our pre-health advisors that in Washington, we, we focus on Washington, so we, we focus on those in Washington, and ask them, what, what are your students experiencing? What challenges do they have? Help us understand so that we can relay that to the committee. Ultimately, the admissions committee um, they're they're typically not the they're, they're not the experts in admissions. They rely on us as the experts in admissions to relay the information to them that they should be considering. So bringing forth what we're hearing from pre health advisors has been really helpful. Um, the other thing that we've done, and I know many medical schools have, is we added a question to our secondary application about COVID. What was the impact of COVID on their lives? And if we and we created, made it broad enough that they could share what they wanted to share, and that was really helpful for the committee to better understand the sometimes very direct impacts or even just the reflection that applicants had about the impact on their lives or the gratitude um, and, and other sort of attributes or reflections. So, you know, I think it's it's continuing to have the conversations. It's seeking out um, the insights from others, uh, other stakeholders. We also have community members on our admissions committees that have no relationship to medicine. They're superintendents of school districts. They're, they're in other positions and they bring such a unique lens um, to our decision making. Um, and I think that, like you said, the diversity of the admissions committee is really helpful to help ground us about our work and the ultimate goal to, um, you know, bring in ultimately mission aligned candidates. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm wondering, Layla, in terms of the interview process, and I'm going to pose this to, to everyone uh, to uh, also, is that I'm wondering how the how COVID and, and interviewing virtually changed the way or the pro, the the uh, type of interviews that you do that you do. Uh, Layla, what kind of interviews did you do 
prior to COVID? Were they one-on-one? Was it MMI? What, you know, what was that looking like? And did it change at all uh, under the, the, the new sort of COVID-related virtual uh, interviewing process? Sure. So prior to the pandemic, we used uh, an MMI model. Um, it was a hybrid MMI with a um, structured one-on-one um, interwoven within the cycle or the circuit, I should say. So um, my team actually did a few virtual MMIs. They're very, it's resource intensive in person. It's highly resource intensive virtually, and it's fraught with all kinds of issues uh, with technology. So we uh, actually incorporated the WMC Vita this year. And the reason we did that, we very much believe in a multiple assessments model, which is what the MMI gives you. It gives you independent assessments and several of them so that you have multiple lenses into the applicants. And it's a highly structured, which is supported by the research literature. So, um, so we wanted to use if you know given that we were going to transition from the mmi in the virtual setting vita gave us the other opportunity to still have that multiple assessment model and that's highly structured and scenario and competency based so we use the vita which is six competency stations and then um, two live virtual um, highly structured interviews so, so we still had eight independent assessments for each applicant um, i'll tell you that's what's interesting is hearing colleagues say that there is potential they will continue in this virtual interview process indefinitely like this really worked out um, the feedback we got from applicants was they felt it was more equitable that really took off the strain and stress of um, finances of um, all kinds of things and and so you know i don't know it'll be interesting to see what schools choose to do after the cycle uh, related to interviewing yeah good lion you want to chime in on that what about you guys at michigan state how how did how did covid change the way you interview students yeah so in years past we had an mmi style uh in-person half-day interview day and when it came uh when push came to shove and we knew that we needed to pivot for this uh last application cycle i think we really went back to basics and wanted to really rethink what it is that we hoped to get from an interview experience and knowing that we were entering sort of a long dark period where we were gonna have limited engagement opportunities, I think we really wanted to find an opportunity to build some community bonds with the wider college network. And so we really leaned heavily into um, a group of interviewers that we had never been able to really engage before. And that's, uh, that's the extraordinary network of alumni that we have around the world. So having a virtual interview this year allowed us to move through a one-to-one -one format where we had sort of a structured uh, conversation between the interviewer and the candidates um, in a way that I think leaned into what was good and useful uh, about the technology. I, I, I had some reservations about how well a um, online MMI type of experience um, could be run. Um, as, as Dr. Harrison points out, of course, it's, it's an extraordinarily resource-intensive operation to run uh, in any case, uh, but certainly uh, doing so in a virtual environment, I think, presents uh, some very unique challenges that are, are quite difficult to overcome. But more from the applicant side, I was worried that the quality of the experience there would be very poor and that it would come off more as an assessment rather than an opportunity for there to be some genuine give and take uh, because we weren't bringing people to campus and we weren't giving them an opportunity to see facilities uh, so we changed 
um, this whole strategy really in a sense because we wanted to give candidates an opportunity to present themselves in a way that they felt was reflective of who they are and their experiences uh, and, the, and the unique things that they wanted to contribute. So I think this process this past year gave applicants a little bit more control, put them a little bit more in the driver's seat in terms of being able to share with us what they thought was most salient rather than the older model where we really developed scenarios, we developed com competencies we were looking at, we had these specific structures that we were trying to assess. And I think, I think we've we successfully moved away from that in a way that has built some, some stronger community bonds. And so we've certainly had good experiences uh, with the feedback that we've gotten. Um, candidates have really enjoyed this, our interviewers have really enjoyed this. So I think that this has been successful from the standpoint of bringing people into the larger Michigan State community um, in, a really, uh, in a really profound way. It's been very, very positive for people uh, in, in an environment where otherwise we haven't been able to have the kinds of sustained interactions that we might otherwise really be trying to uh, trying to engender in the pool. Beyond that, I will note that we also asked candidates interviewing this year to take uh, the Casper Situational Judgment Test so that we had an additional data point for the committee that was MMI style information in terms of the way that particular exam will assess for some of the structures uh, that we would typically be trying to assess for with respect to an in-person MMI process. So we gave our committee access to a little bit of that data, but I think we really recalibrated around a different idea of what the interview could achieve for the committee and for what the what positive and sort of salubrious effects we could have, not just for the committee, but also for the broader community with our alumni and also our future student doctors. Yeah. Excellent. Now, Philo, I know that you guys were using MMI or, or my did no, did, no, that's not right. Okay, <laughs> I thought you were. I don't know why. I thought I don't know why I was. Thinking I mean, we, uh, we we thought about it, but we we never went down that way. Now we, we've adapted some aspects of MMI, and uh, yeah. Layla may remember that. You know, when she was at uh, assistant dean at AM, and uh, we we obviously made our interviews very structured. Um, you know, we. Uh, and what we've embedded in the interview process are scenarios uh, and um, with uh, guiding questions and essentially assessing behaviors. And, you know, and, and we've gone further in, in that regard, you know, really uh, moving around throughout the uh, uh, four categories that we're evaluating in terms of creating uh, scenarios um, that are relevant to that particular category. We have a subcommittee of the admissions committee that's committed to creating these scenarios on a pretty regular basis now so that we can change them out on a regular basis over the course of the interviewing season, which um, um, I think is effective. Uh, and, uh, and at the same time, uh, what we're trying to uh, uh, determine is if there is some correlation or some relationship between uh, the uh, uh, the responses or the, the way the committee evaluates candidates within these scenario situations in CASPER. Uh, and then uh, subsequent to that, what we've, uh, we've added besides the traditional one-on-one uh, -on -one interviews. So we give each candidate uh, two 30-minute one-on-one you know, interactions. Uh, and then uh, we've added what we call a standardized patient exercise. And essentially what that means is that each candidate gets two five-minute encounters with our trained standardized patients. Now, our standardized patients are trained by our staff um, and experts at our Clinical Learning Resource Center. 
So what we've done is met with their team uh, to give them, a, a, a wanted them to get a sense of what we're looking for in the candidate in these, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, very brief kind of uh, situations. But uh, again, uh, these are scenario based. So the staff there creates the scenarios based on our input, but they're very benign. You know, they're, they're not being asked, you know, uh, questions that obviously they, they can't answer, you know, like clinical issues or clinical questions, you know, something like a, a medical student would have to do in an OSCE exam. But uh, they, they are actually patterned after the OSCE, you know, in, in a sense, you know, where they have that five minute encounter, there's that exchange, uh, they're video uh, uh, taped or um, uh, filmed. And then um, if we have to, you know, we can go back and take a look at that interaction. Um, but uh, the, um, the standardized patients are trained on how to evaluate and then submit that evaluation, which we have access to at the time of our committee meeting deliberations so that we can take that uh, information along with, you know, the actual one-on-one -on -one interviews that are obviously very structured as well. So what we're doing now with Altus Assessments, the creator of Casper is working with them on analyzing uh, our data uh, over the course of four years with regard to Casper and how we're using that in, in uh, selecting applicants and how we consider you know that score uh, in the uh, in, uh, in our admissions deliberations. But we're going to see if there's any relationship as well with the uh, standardized patient exercises. If there is some relationship there, well, that's fantastic. And we see some parity there. We see that we're going in the right direction and we're selecting students that align with our core values. Uh, you know, the Aggie core values are particularly important at NAM, and we embrace those. And that's respect, you know, excellence, leadership, loyalty, integrity, and selfless service. So that la the, 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 the one at the very top, you know, respect, and then, of course, selfless service are particularly important to us. So the part of the whole process to really look deep into how respect is manifested, how selfless service is manifested over mm -hmm. the course of their experiences. Mm -hmm. So... Um, that's what we're doing. Um, um, again, taking into consideration the you know the, the the those two important traits of holistic review attributes and experiences, and really going a little deeper, taking that deep dive to see just how those are being, you know, exercised. Yeah. Now yeah. You, you're requiring uh, uh, Casper of your students. Yes. Is that right? In fact, uh, most of the TMDS schools have uh, gone to requiring Casper which is yeah, interesting. I see. Yeah. Now, Lyman, I think you said that you, you guys are requiring Casper as well. Uh, Layla, are you, uh, is Washington State doing Casper also? We were, we we're one of the eight medical schools that are doing the research study with the WMC, who is also building a situational judgment test. So we are uh, holding out. And uh, if the SAT, they're in, a two, they're in their second pilot year, uh, but if they roll it out as an official, um, we are holding out for the WMCSAT because we're a research school. We know that they're evaluating outcome data as the students involved are matriculating to medical school. So that we would hold out for that one. Okay, good. So the plan is to to involve a, some sort of situational judgment test uh, that students would would be required to do. I see. Okay, great. Um, I know that. Um, one of the things that uh, you mentioned, uh, I think one of you did, and I'm wondering if, if all of you are the same, is, is in terms of including on your secondary application, if you have one, a question about COVID and how it's affected, affected you in the process. Do, are, do, do all three of you have a secondary that where you're asking something similar to that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You, you do. Lyman, you're 
shaking your head. I think I'm the exception on this. So we do not have a secondary application question specifically related to COVID. So on the ACOMAS application, uh, that is that is captured and that is still the plan at the level um, of all osteopathic schools is okay. to give candidates an opportunity to articulate um, especially what their circumstances are and how that might have been impacted by the pandemic. We will have other opportunities on our secondary application, of course, um, to provide other types of contextualization, some of which may be pandemic related, um, some of which we may not be, which is why I think we've neglected um, to give it that level of specificity, just so the candidates know that if they have other information to share, that it doesn't have to be tied to that particular qualifier. Right, right. And Layla, you, you guys do have a secondary, I take it. We do, and that question is on our application. Yeah, great, great. Um, so I would like to sort of round out um, our, our my questions to you guys, and then I, I think maybe we might have enough time for to grab a couple of questions from students that have chimed in. Uh, what do you want students to know? What if you know you're talking to uh, around 500, 600 students live now, and uh, other you know hundreds or thousands are going to be watching it over the course of the next weeks and months. What is your message to these students about how nervous they are about how COVID is affecting everything? What would you like a nugget of wisdom or truth that you would like to, to communicate to these students out there and uh, would really like to hear that. And, and Layla, why don't you start us off with that? If you could, you know, what, what message do you have for these kids? I would say that to, to know that admissions offices, deans, admissions committees really are thoughtful about what circumstances applicants are coming with. Um, and so just, you know, I know, again, it seems like this obscure process, but just know that there are humans behind the scenes that really do um, care and are thoughtful and really are trying to be um, careful and considerate about what things might look like in this upcoming cycle. And the second thing I would share is, is a reminder that there is no one perfect pathway into medicine. I, I think a lot of times in particular traditional um, applicants, they have, they, there's a lot of pressure on them either self-imposed or otherwise that they should be enrolling into medical school right after college, that gap years look bad. Um, there's, there's all sorts of advice, there's all sorts of opinions. And what I would say is that I think the majority of medical schools would say that there is no one perfect pathway. If this is not the year, if it's too complicated, there is nothing wrong with waiting. Um, and, um, you know, I, so I would just say, don't don't pressure yourself to make it happen this year if it's not the right year for you, because we don't look at it in that way. Excellent, excellent. Philo, what about you? What about uh, what message do you have for for our applicants? Okay. Well, uh, it, we understand that there, there are going to be limitations in terms of experiences, but uh, that doesn't mean that you still can't seek out experiences, even if they are virtual. Uh, and we've seen a lot of opportunities surface that we, we believe are virtual. We, we like students or the applicants to take that initiative. We, we think that's important. Uh, if, if this is truly, uh, uh, um, in, at least in their mind and heart, uh, what they want to do, uh, we see applicants making those sacrifices, you know, going uh, the extra um, yard or two, you know, uh, you know, to acquire, you know, experience and knowledge, you know, about the profession. So, 
I, I think it's important to continue to explore. In fact, I, I think there are more opportunities to get involved in the community than there may be, you know, to get involved in a healthcare capacity simply because of the limitations, you know, given COVID. Um, we, um, you know, I'm involved in the community, you know, I, I'm out there even, you know, virtually, and, and, and you can still do it, your mask, your, you know, your socially distanced, uh, and, and um, community organizations are really good at rotating volunteers so that they can continue to help even in person. So take advantage of those, you know, our core value self-resource is particularly important. I think of any, of any activity, we think that's really uh, key right there, that you care about people, uh, that you're, um, Definitely, uh, you know, showing that and manifesting that in, in your experiences. Another thing that I think is important is that is to understand the career that you're going to pursue. You know, study the issues. Uh, sometimes uh, we we're you know we scratch our heads in in confusion sometimes when uh, when um, applicants can't hold a really good, clear conversation or dialogue about some of the issues impacting medicine. Um, and there's some really good resources out, including the AAMC and the, the the American Medical Association. Even there's some good journals out there, like the Journal of the American Medical Association. Even your your local uh, medical association or the statewide medical association, like ours, the TMA, is a wealth of information. Um, you know, the Health Resources and Services Administration, excellent resource for what's going on right now, particularly with regard to the pandemic and. Uh, and the issue of disparities, especially among uh, people of color uh, in marginal you know, communities. The National Institutes of Health, the U.S. National Library of Medicine, these are wonderful resources sometimes perhaps applicants don't even think about uh, as they're you know, um, navigating uh, the Internet and, and looking you know, for opportunities. These are excellent resources, and they're easy you know, you know, you know, to get. So uh, that would be what uh, I would, you know, recommend to students moving forward, you know, uh, especially in 2021, given the current circumstances. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. And Lyman, what do you think about this? What Chime in here. <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll try to be really succinct uh, in, 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 some, in some actionable advice here. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I think one of the essential features of good candidates over the coming years will be creativity. And so I think that it's two things. It's being creative in seeking opportunities to be engaged in appropriate ways, um, whether that's appropriate ways to engage in clinical environments or exposure to medicine or appropriate um, engagement in volunteer or leadership or research activities, those types of things. But beyond that, the challenge that applicants, I think, are going to face that they need to lean into in a positive way it's so really understanding that you are now going to have to communicate a little bit more comprehensively and a little bit more thoroughly about how explicitly you want to connect the things that you have done to the competencies that schools expect you to demonstrate in your application materials. And I think the most successful candidates will be the ones that take an unconventional background or an unconventional set of exposures and opportunities and really demonstrate how that links up to the type of preparation that a particular school, especially in a mission-driven institution, um, really wants to see. And I think that candidates who do that well um, have a unique opportunity here. So I think that's maybe the silver lining to this as well, too. Um, gets us away from some of the sort of arms race type of dialogue that oftentimes um, undergraduate students in particular sort of end up in. I think this presents a special, a special opportunity for people to think a little bit differently 
and articulate strengths uh, in a new and sort of advantageous way. The, you guys have very good advice for, for these applicants who are super nervous and, and cautious about what things have, uh, what, what things they've done and, and are expected to be doing. And I appreciate the, the, the transparency that you, you've had today with regard to your process and, and how things are going to work. And, and uh, I think the, the pandemic has caught us all somewhat off guard and, and, I think it's changed a lot of what uh, what 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 it, the admissions process may look like in years to come. And Philo, you you addressed it early on uh, about here in Texas how you know the deadlines is a good example. You know that process has changed and may not ever go back to the way it was. And uh, and I suspect that many schools are going to be continuing to do virtual interviews or, or offering that as an option to students because they've seen that it works and that it, 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 it is a, a really a process that provides a, a lot greater ability for students to interview with you who may have had a difficulty traveling or whatever uh, otherwise. So, so it's, it's, these are exciting days for, for all of us, for the students and for you guys and, and, but congratulations on, the, the flexibility that that the medical schools have shown, I think, as well as these these dear uh, candidates that are, are applying to go into medicine have shown in, in terms of being flexible and, and all that. So I want to thank uh, our our guests today. It's been wonderful to have you have you on uh, today as, as our guest, uh, Lyman Mower from Michigan State. Thank you for being with us today and, and best wishes with your class for, for the 21 entering class. It, you, I'm sure you're still right in the middle of, of trying to, you know, put that class together as, as all of you are. Uh, Philo, thank you. And, and uh, I appreciate uh, uh, your efforts uh, here in the great state of Texas. And uh, <laughs> I'll put a plug in for the Lone Star State there, but uh, thank you for joining us today. And then Layla up there in the Pacific Northwest, thank you for doing all that you do and for the, the efforts and congratulations on, I think, I, I'm, I believe I'm right in saying that you're graduating your first class this year. Is that right? We sure are. It's an exciting time. Yeah, that is very exciting. I'm, I'm super pumped about that. So congrats on that. That's that's really wonderful. And, and I'm sure it's been thrilling to build a brand new medical school. A lot yeah. of work. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it has been. Excellent. Well, thank you all. I want to I want to encourage all of you to mark your calendar for uh, next month, um, April tw uh, 28th, same time. Same, uh, you know, when I was growing up, it was same bat time, same bat channel. That was the Batman thing from the Batman shows on TV. But same time, same channel, YouTube TV. Next uh, next month, we're going to be looking at the one question about letters of recommendation and committee letters. How does this work out? How What letters look like? Uh, what should they look like? How do you get good letters? And do I do a committee letter or not do a committee letter if my school offers it? So we're going to focus in next month just on the issue of letters of recommendation and uh, examine that as we've done this time 
for uh, the issues of COVID. So thank you everyone for joining us today. Thank you to all the students for hanging around. It's, it's great uh, for, uh, for having you here and uh, we'll see you next month on the 28th. All right. There you have it again. That was inside med admissions with Dr. Scott Wright register for the next one at InsideMedAdmissions.com. Again, it's going to be April 28th, 2021 at 1 p.m. Eastern, talking all about letters of recommendations and how they impact medical school admissions. And I, I know that one of my biggest questions is, do we really need committee letters? Because there, there are lots of issues with committee letters for, for some students getting them from their school, even though they go to that school and they pay their tuition uh, and still not being able to get a committee letter. So hopefully we've got some answers for you, at least from a few deans and directors of medical schools. I know one of the guests is going to be Dr. Layla Amiri, the assistant dean for admissions and recruitment at the University of Illinois Chicago College of Medicine. That's one of our guests. So again, InsideMedAdmissions.com. Go check it out. This is MedEd Media.